0: Wonderful to be here this morning in the presence of Jesus. He truly is beautiful. And if you have not experienced the beauty of being in the presence of Jesus, you need to ask Him for that and step into that. That's the only way I know how to survive this world of tears, of sorrow, of sickness, of dying, is stepping into the beauty of Jesus. And that's what he gives us as we worship him. And I take the uh, meditation today from Psalms 119. We're still in that. And I'm going to be reading the message version. And uh, I'm not sure if that's what Alex has up there, but I'm gonna read that and so you can figure it out. It says, be good to your servant God, according to your word, O Lord. Train me in good common sense. I am thoroughly committed to living your way. Before I learned to answer to you, I wandered all over the place, but now I am in step with your word. You are good and the source of good. Train me in your goodness. The godless spread lies about me, but I focus my attention on what you are saying. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling while I dance to the tune of your revelation. My troubles turned out all for the best. They forced me to learn from your textbook. Truth from your mouth means more to me than striking it rich in a gold mine." The message, of course, has an everyday language that we are familiar with. And I tell you, I love the NIV um, in the Psalms too. But I'd like to read a different translation, especially for Psalms 119, because it uses the word law quite a bit. And, and being New Testament Christians, we're not under the law, but we are under grace. And I love the way the message presents the grace of Jesus Christ in that. And, you know, beginning the new year, we need to begin with gratitude. Just like the psalmist wrote, gratitude. Gratitude for his word gratitude for learning his word, for being in his word, for singing his word. You know, I've been asked so many times, why do we sing when we come to church? Well, you know, singing uses both parts of your brain, your right side and your left side. The words are on one side, the melody is on the other side. And we retain 80% of what we sing other than just, I think it's like 30% of what we hear, if we sing it. If you're not trying to learn a foreign language, sing in it. If you're trying to learn the alphabet, whether English or any other alphabet, sing it and you will remember it. Singing the word of God gives us that reality of his beauty. That we're singing about his beauty that's so overwhelming his beauty that captures our hearts that sets us free oh thank you jesus thank you jesus father we got we come before you this morning singing father of your praises singing Our gratitude to you, Father, for forgiveness of our sins, for freedom that is only found in you, for hope that I have for tomorrow in this life, not just in eternity, but hope for this life. I thank you, God, that I can walk in that freedom today. And I'm so full of gratitude, Lord, for this year, a new beginning, Father, 2023. We have closing the books on that. And we thank you, Lord, for your provision. We thank you, Lord, for your constancy that you never left us, you never failed us, you never walked away, you never said, okay, I'm out of patience, I'm done with you. Your grace continues to give. And we thank you for that. Our hearts are overflowing, that we can look forward, Father, to this 2024 with greater challenges, greater opportunities of serving you, of trusting in you, of hoping in you, Father. We thank you that we can trust in your word. Your word is faithful. Your word never fails. And we appreciate you so very much this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your provision. We appreciate you so very much, Lord. We pray all this in your precious name, amen. The country for this week is Algeria. As with many countries in this region, the official religion is Islam. State institutions are required to make sure nothing they do is outside of Islam and evangelism is outlawed. Anyone who converts to Christianity from Islam can be punished by law, and it has become an increasing concern to global Christian global Christian relief that attacks on Christian pastors and churches have become more frequent, and the official authorities have also begun targeting pastors and churches as well. So today we want to pray for the country of Algeria. Um, for the safety of the believers in this country, that the laws will be changed to protect them and the hope of Christ will spread. So we'll pray for the country of Algeria today. You know, and I've often said this when we come to this country, that um, we had very good friends in Greece that were in the uh, politics and high up in the government in Algeria. And Christopher, in fact, one of his good friends was a prince of Algeria. And um, he spent so much time in our home. And I continually pray for that young man, of course he's in his mid-30s now, and um, pray that you know, what he heard and what he felt and what he saw in our home would make an impact on his life and the country of Algeria, because we never know what seeds we plant. And you know, thinking about um, what Sarah shared about persecution, Uh, from Islam. Billy was telling me this morning when he was in Pakistan. um, I think your good friend had said that um, in Pakistan they can persecute your body. In America they steal your soul. That's where our persecution comes from. And you know in America we do because we have to guard that continually through media, through television, movies, books, all of the crazy mixed up philosophy, uh, gender confusion that's happening across the board. You know, we can, if we're not careful, our soul will be sold. And that's what we want to stand true and for Jesus Christ. And as we pray for Algeria, that that country will know, come to know Jesus Christ. So we're praying for them this morning, continue to pray for the country of Israel. Um, I received a letter this week from um, Sandy Soshoni, and she is the uh, president of the Israeli Be'at Hashem for Life. And uh, she just shared her brokenness over their country and the sorrow, the tears. And she said, you know, I'm looking forward to eternity with Jesus when there will be no more bombs, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more goodbyes, no more brokenness and families torn apart and babies being lost to abortion and um, it just uh, put such a desire in my heart to continue praying for them in that country of Israel that they will know the peace of God. So we'll continue them for them in the Ukraine of course we have many people in Alaska here in the Matsu Valley the Ukrainians that we're praying for and praying for them as they receive relatives from their country And we'll continue to pray for our children all the way, you know, through school age, all the way up, and through college, that their souls will be found through Jesus Christ. They will find Jesus and the hope of that. Okay, if you're comfortable holding hands with the one next to you, I'll lead in prayer this morning. Father, we're so grateful that we can come into this place, this house of Prayer that we have dedicated to you, Father God, to serve you, to learn of you, to rejoice in you, to cry together. This place, Father, is dedicated to our relationships to knowing you, and I thank you for that this morning. And we we lift up the country of Algeria as we stand with our brothers and sisters in that country who believe in you, who trust in your word, Father. We pray that a mighty outpouring of your Holy Spirit will sweep over that country, Lord. And I often think of this young man that was in our home so very often that you would stir within him things that he has heard, and and to his memory, Father God, what you have planted there. And I pray that it will come to fruition and harvest for his soul, Lord. We pray for the land of Israel. We pray for Sandy, for her team that uh, have given and given and given. They ministered to so many hundreds of families uh, that have found refuge in hotels, Lord, in Israel, that they uh, minister diapers and uh, uh, baby food and all kinds of clothing, too. And we just pray that you will strengthen them, Lord, as this uh, war is uh, just making them so weary, Father God. We pray for your hand of mercy upon them we pray for the ukraine father for the sorrow the brokenness lord and we pray for a mighty mighty move of your holy spirit as people call out to you father god as they find you lord in their sorrow we pray for that hope lord we pray for our children all over the valley lord little ones middle-sized ones big ones college students father we pray for a mighty coming to you of pouring their heart out before you we are so thankful, God, that we can call on your name and we can trust in you That today. We can trust in your hope and trust in your grace. And we can know that you know us, that you have called us by our name, and we are yours. And we appreciate that so very much, Lord Jesus. We pray all this in your precious name, amen. Uh, Before Pastor comes up, I just want to, um, Christopher and Audrey wanted to greet everybody here in the church and just say hi. And and they've found a wonderful church there in um, Clarksville near Nashville, Tennessee. And we were with them last Sunday and worshiped together, and it was so wonderful. And you know, I've been thinking about um, Jesus knowing our name and calling us by our name. He knows us. And kind of just a little funny to share with you. Um, Before we left last Sunday, I was talking to all the kids on the phone before we got on the plane, and little Joshua, he said, you know, Grandma, I don't know if you're going to recognize me when you get here. And I said, why is that? And he said, because I'm four now, and I got a haircut. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll do my best, you know. And so when we got to their house, their apartment, all the three older kids were around us kissing and hugging, and Joshua took off, ran into his bedroom and hid, you know? And so I went in to look for him, and I I was yelling, hey, Joshua, does anybody in here know where Joshua is? I'd like to see him. This is his grandma. So I saw his head stick up, Then he looked at me, and he said, grandma, it's me. It's Joshua, it's me. (laughs) <laughs> which is so precious, you know, and we hugged and kissed. But, you know, that's how Christ is with us. He calls us by his, our name, and we are his. We belong to him. He knows us. If we have made that commitment, he knows us, doesn't he? So we begin that new year with that knowledge of his grace and his knowing of us. Amen.
1: So good to be back. Yeah, it was. seemed like it gone for two weeks, gone for a long time, but it's really good to be back. Uh, just a few quick announcements before we dismiss the kids. Church or life groups are up and running again. They're continuing this year, so if you're interested in being part of one, uh, please see Pastor Joyce and I. And if you're interested in hosting one, we could really do one or two more life groups. So if you're interested in hosting one, please talk to us. Ladies' night out this Wednesday at the Moropolis residence at 6:30. Details are on the ladies' page. If you don't have access to the ladies' page, just go right to the source over there. Um, and then we got a youth night coming up. We're going to start doing this, this is for our young people, junior high, seventh grade through high school and older. Um, Last Friday of every month, we'll be at the Moropolis Residence. We're just going to hang out, have some dinner, have some fun, and um, just rejoice in all the goodness that God is to us. So young folks can put that on your calendar. Last Friday of each month at the Moropolis Residence. I want to thank everybody that stepped up last week in our absence, and, of course, all the folks that fill their usual slots as well. Really, really appreciate it. It's so wonderful. Pastor Joyce and I to be able to leave and know that things are just in excellent, excellent care. Um, again, I just want to want to thank everybody. Also want to thank the individual that left the very large gift on our front porch. Um, there wasn't a name that I know, so I'm assuming you don't want to be named, but and I couldn't name it because I don't know the name, but thank you, whoever did that. It was very, very much appreciated. So again wanna say thanks. And I do want to comment too as well. Um this time of year, very typically, church finances do get tight, and this year is no different than others. So, want to thank those who have continued to support the church and its ministries through your offerings and giving. Um, but if you can, if folks can do more, this is a good time to do a little extra because things are really tight right now. Just want to make that information available to you. Uh, this morning, we turn again to the Gospel of Mark we continue in our study of Mark's gospel. Um, you may think it, you know, a little odd to the first of the year. You're supposed to do something new. and supposed to start something new, and yet here we are right in the middle of Mark's gospel, and that's really okay. Um, I think especially because this passage, as I've um, had a couple weeks to look at, it was nice to have some extra time to look at the text, it really puts us in a good place for um, starting the new year out. So, um That's what we're going to be doing. And we're reminded, of course, that Mark's gospel tells us about Jesus. It's all about the character of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to focus in on his reactions to some things. Our Lord's reactions to a couple of different things. We're going to look at two different events many ways totally different, but they're tied together by something very common, and they're in fact both saying very much the same thing. And so if you would, Mark chapter 11, and I'm getting this gut level feeling that I'm forgetting something. Anybody here have any idea what I'm forgetting? If not, we'll just carry on. (laughs) If I find out what it was, Come back next week, I'll tell you. So, Mark chapter 11, beginning in the 12th verse. See, I'm gone for one week, and I'm totally out of sync. So, Mark chapter 11, verse 12. And on the next day, when they had departed from Bethany, he became hungry. And and they, of course, and that is the disciples that he is, Jesus. Uh, He became hungry. And seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he answered and said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples were listening. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to cast out those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it into a robber's den. The chief priests and the scribes heard this, and they began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for all the multitude was astonished at his teaching. And whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. And as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. And being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, behold, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Father, we thank you for your word this morning as we look to it. Lord, our hearts this morning um, are in need for you, Lord. We need, our hearts need to be nourished this morning by your word. That's the, that's the deep need of our soul, Lord. So we look to you this morning and pray that you would indeed speak to our hearts from yours, Lord. I don't want to hear the thoughts of man. We want to hear your thoughts this morning. So we ask you to do that, Lord, for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, cursing the fig tree and then cleansing the temple doesn't exactly look like the same thing but two events that are very much connected and so what I'd like to do is just move through the text see what's going on in these events and then look at what ties them together just how connected they are so that we can finally ask how that speaks to us and what we're going to find and this is why I think this is such an appropriate place to start the new year at is at this really critical moment in Jesus ministry he's got like five days left before the crucifixion at this really crucial moment he's very concerned about what is real what is real and what is pretense and the absolute need for his people to be people who are real right that's what we're going to find um so these two events first the fig tree i don't know about anybody else but this is a passage of scripture that i struggled with a lot for a long time because it, to my reading I I know we're talking about our Lord, and He's perfect. He's God, but He really seems to be unreasonable in this. I mean, come on, it's not the season for figs. So why does He expect? I I've struggled with this for years, and I've even seen explanations that like justify that because He's under a lot of pressure, and He's human. And this is like his humanity eking out, and he's got to, like, vent it on something so he vents it on a tree, right? I've never been comfortable with that. That's just, that doesn't work. So, but having these last couple of weeks, and I've spent some time looking at this, I think I've got a really good explanation. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But the day begins with Jesus and his followers leaving Bethany. Now, it's Monday, right? Day after Sunday. Sunday was Palm Sunday. When they came in, big entry, palm fronds, people worshiping the whole thing went right into the temple, which, by the way, was quite natural, because if you enter Jerusalem from Bethany, you come from the east, the gate you're most likely to use, it's called the Golden Gate, right into the temple, right? Only makes sense. So he, would have gone. he went into the temple, and if you remember from weeks and weeks back, he only did one other thing that day. He went in the temple, he looked around, and he left. That was Sunday afternoon. Entered, Palm Sunday, looks around, leaves. So ever since then, what's been on his mind? What he saw when he looked around. So his mindset, leaving Bethany, it's a short, less than two-mile walk from Bethany to Jerusalem. His mindset all the way in is what's going to happen when he goes back into the temple, right? So his mindset when he approaches the fig tree, or they're on the way and he sees the fig tree, is what's going to happen when they get into the temple, right? He sees a fig tree in a distance. Uh, Matthew, and his account, because Matthew covers it as well, notice it's a solitary fig tree. And they both note that it's a fig tree in leaf. It's got leaves all over the tree. And it had enough leaves he was able to see it from a distance. He sees it in the distance. He can tell it's got a lot of leaves on it, right? So Jesus goes over to look for some fruit, doesn't find any fruit. Uh, Matthew and Mark both note it's not the season for figs. And yet Jesus is clearly upset that it doesn't have any figs and so he says verse 14 may no one ever eat fruit from you again it's interesting it says he answered there's a lot of personification that goes on here personification common figure of speech we do it all the time it's treating an inanimate object as if it was animate how many of you guys talk to your vehicles how many of you are glad no one else is in the vehicle when you're talking to your vehicle we do it all the time, right? We treat inanimate objects as if they were a very very common, very common figure of speech. We do it all the time. So Jesus speaks directly to the tree. Nobody is ever going to eat fruit from you again. That sounds so much like something I would say. The disciples note all of this. It certainly seemed out of character. Then they go on into the city. They enter the city. He goes into the temple. Evidently, again, the same path went right into the temple, and he begins to clean house. I mean, this is an immediate and complete process the first thing he does is he casts out the excuse me cast out those who are buying and selling interesting he not only casts out those who are selling now that fits well with our picture because these were the people that were elevating the prices selling the sacrificial animals to animal people at elevated prices but he also throws out that who are buying it's the whole commercial process that he objects to he kicks them out of the temple right then he overturns the tables. To me, this is where it had to get really interesting. Because you've got money changers. You know, The whole idea was you couldn't put anything other than temple currency into the temple treasury. If you come in with Roman coins or any other coins, or you come in with just you know, a raw metal or gold, you have to convert that to temple coinage. And so the money changers are there, and they have their scales for weighing bullion. They've got their stacks of coin, And he is just turned. What happens... When all that money hits the floor, glorious, beautiful chaos. Everybody's diving for coinage. And then it goes on to say that he also overturned the tables of those who were selling doves. Uh, under the Levitical law, uh, when a sin offering had to be made, very common offering, uh, you were supposed to use like a cow, but if you didn't have money for a cow, you could buy a couple of doves. So there are people there and they got their little baskets or little cages with doves or pigeons in them. Well, you can just imagine the cages are falling over and they're popping open. You got birds in the air, coins. Again, this had to be fun to watch, right? Had to be good looking, right? And then the next verse, verse 16, it gets kind of neglected. Because it sounds like a small thing, but it's not. He stopped the transport of goods through the temple. Now, remember, I said the main entrance from the east, which is the golden gate, two arches, you come into the city, right into the temple. If you were bringing goods into Jerusalem from the east, you either had to go through the temple or go all the way around it. So not only are people doing commerce in the temple, they're using the temple itself as part of a roadway in and out of the city to carry their stuff. And Jesus stops that. What's also significant about that, everything up to that point is kind of a one-time thing. Like he walks up and he you know, stops people from selling animals or buying animals, drives them out of the temple. He goes to the money changers temple. He throws those over and that's done. But this act of preventing people from coming through the temple is the grammar of the text presents it as being a continuous thing so he spends maybe the rest of the day in the temple teaching and we're going to see what he taught in just a minute but that whole time that he's teaching he's saying you can't bring that through here no out walk around i know it's farther go around so this whole day of temple activity is completely turned upside down by what jesus is doing And then he explains the problem in verse 17, why he's doing all this. And he quotes Jeremiah chapter 7 and Isaiah 56. He says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. He's responding to the state of affairs he had observed the day before and was probably quite familiar with from other trips. The issue at hand... Isn't so much people being cheated, although that definitely was a factor. The issue at hand is the practice of using the temple and its prayers as a good luck charm. Turn back, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7 gives us a tremendous amount of insight into what Jesus was doing. Now, both the Jeremiah passage and the Isaiah 56 passage are set in in a time when when God was speaking through the prophet, either Jeremiah or Isaiah, about the people's failure to faithfully serve him and the judgment that was coming and both times it's focused directly on the temple but jeremiah i think speaks most clearly jeremiah chapter 7 verse 1 the word that came to jeremiah from the lord saying stand in the gate of the lord's house and proclaim there this word and say hear the word of the lord all you of judah who enter by these gates to worship the lord thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel amend your ways and your deeds and i will let you dwell in this place And do not trust in deceptive words, saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Now, remember now, in Jeremiah's day, the northern tribes were gone. They had already been deported for their wickedness. But there's a mindset in Judah, the southern tribe, and those that had gone to Judah to live in Judah, that they were okay. They were okay because they had the temple. And we have the temple and all the stuff that goes with the temple and the sacrifice and the the worship and everything going on. We've got that, so we're okay. We have the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, right? For if you truly amend your ways, this is verse 5, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, the widow, do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place the that I gave you and your fathers forever. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. It's not what you say that counts. It's what you do. Verse 9, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, offer sacrifices to Baal and walk after other gods that you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered, that you may do all these abominations. Has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your sight? The place that the thieves go and hide after they've done their dirty work. Thinking they're safe, thinking they're not seen. But note how verse 11 ends. Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. Don't think he's telling them that by you got the temple and all the worship and all the good stuff going on, that you're okay. Not when you're practicing wickedness. The same situation as Jeremiah's day and Isaiah's day is continuing to be true in Jesus' day. That's the problem. Thinking that merely having the temple, merely having all the stuff, would protect them from their ungodliness. Verses 18 and 19, the religious leaders get all upset, but the people are amazed. They can't believe what they're hearing because it's real. And they know it's real. When we get real about our faith, it shakes people up. Real faith makes people uncomfortable. Both those who don't understand living by faith and those who do understand living by faith but aren't doing it. Faith makes people uncomfortable. Verse 20, they come back into the city. The disciples note that the fig tree is withered from the roots up. It is totally withered. It's not like just getting a little droopy. It's deader than dead. It's not even good for shade. It's gone, right? Peter comments about it. Evidently, he was quite surprised, and Jesus answered, Have faith in God. And the text goes on after verse 22 to speak about prayer. We're going to look at that shortly. But first, I want to really look at this carefully. Because these two events, the cursing of the fig tree, the cleansing of the temple, are really connected. Now, we know that for two reasons. First of all, the way Mark arranges the text. Now, when Matthew talks about this in his gospel, Matthew simply states, Jesus cursed the fig tree and withers immediately. Now, there's there's no conflict in meaning. I think you can call the withering of a tree completely from the roots up in a 24-hour window, pretty immediate. So there's not a conflict there. But Mark decides to take those two things, the cursing of the tree and its withered state, and separate it and put the cleansing of the temple in the middle. It's a really common literary device to tie those things together. It makes the cursing of the fig tree like a picture frame around the cleansing of the temple. Both things saying the same thing. They go together. And we also know it for the content. We also know it for the content. Like, talk about about that. The content shows they go together. So let's talk about the fig tree. Now, this passage really threw me, again, like I said, for a long time. I don't know about anybody else, but I would read it and go, what is going on? But I read something the last couple weeks about fig trees. They are fascinating. Fig trees, how many of you knew that a fig tree was an evergreen? I always assumed they were deciduous because they got those big leaves, right? Or they're technically a semi-evergreen, right? They keep some of their leaves throughout the year, right? So They're a very interesting tree. The other thing about fig trees is that they have two totally different crops. And this is not unique to any one species of fig tree. This is totally common to all fig trees. The usual harvest season for fig trees is way at the end of the season. It's like a... August, September crop, and that's when all the figs that you know that we import and all the figs that we eat, um, how many here have you ever eaten a fresh fig? Fig newtons do not do them justice, I'll tell you that, they're really good, but that's when those really good figs are harvested is in the late harvest, um, and I, I asked Al to put up a picture, this is a typical late August main harvest fig, right? What I want you to notice is where the stem of the fig comes from. It ties into the main branch right where new growth comes out. So in the natural process of fig growth, right, fig 101, um, in the spring, as these new branches begin to form and new leaves begin to form, it's right at the spot where that new growth is coming out that the fig appears, right? That's, that's the main harvest. That's fig season, right? Now go to the next picture. These are called briba figs, right? Briba, that's actually a Spanish word. I have no idea where it comes from, but that's what they're called. It's a briba fig. These figs appear much, much earlier in the spring. And you can tell the difference, because see where they join the stock? There's no new growth. They connect directly to the previous year's growth, wood from the previous year. These figs, here's, here's the point, these figs will begin to appear before the leaves even start so by the time the leaves start and the leaves are full these figs are already mature these breba figs these very early figs, and there's a couple of different references to them in Scripture. Uh, Isaiah 28, uh, verse 4 is one. It's talk, And both of them are interesting talking about judgment. This is God's judgment on Ephraim. That fading flower, his glorious beauty, set on the head of a fertile valley, will be like figs ripe before harvest. The reba figs, right? Before harvest. As soon as people see them, they take them in hand and they swallow them. If for no other reason it's like the first fresh fruit of the season, right? been eating old stuff all winter, and you're ready for something fresh, so people grab these. There weren't a lot of them, right? They were very valued. And then Hosea, which, of course, is extremely relevant, because Hosea is a book talking about people's unfaithfulness to God. Hosea 9.10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your forefathers as the earliest fruit on the fig tree in its first season, meaning that very first product. It's talking about these breba figs, how valuable they were. Well, again, they were produced, or they started... Before the leaves start before the new leaf grow starts so when you see a tree in leaf it is in fact quite reasonable to expect that these figs would be there these are the figs Jesus is looking for he's not being unreasonable at all it's quite reasonable to expect this small crop of breba figs so what's the problem with Jesus going to the fig tree and seeing leaves but no fruit at all Essentially, what Jesus is saying to the tree getting that whole personification thing is I find you guilty of false advertising in that you are full of leaves. You're saying to the whole world, here I am in my newness of growth. I've got I should have brief figs for you. And he walks all the way over there and there's nothing false advertising. Not being real. Not speaking the truth. Pretending to be what it's not pretended to be in full early spring production, and nothing's there. It's falseness. Not being real. Exact same thing that was going on in the temple with all their worship and all their activity and all their sacrifices. None of it was real. It was all for show. It was all pretense. Back in Matthew 7, Jesus told his followers they would know the false prophet by their fruit, right? It's funny, we live in a, in, a, in a cultural situation where the term self identifications taken on a whole new meaning. Actually, it's taken on meaning-pair. i never heard it before. Right? The, the ability of an individual to assert verbally who or what they are and to be taken at face value. Now, without even talking about that issue, the whole idea that we can say what we are and su- claim the right to be taken at our word, regardless of what's actually happening, Nothing new under the sun. This fig tree, self-identification. The activity in the temple, self-identification. All of it falls. All of it falls. It's not what we call ourselves that counts. It's not what others call us that counts. It's the product of our lives. You shall know them, Jesus said, by their fruit. Jesus went on in Matthew to say, Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? You know, most of us know the list. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. I'm sure I forgot at least one. I'm trying not to look down. But there's another list in Ephesians 5. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. That's the fruit that is the indication and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. That's the fruit of a real genuine Christian character, regardless of what we say, what is the product of our lives. And here's the, here's the point, here's the whole point, you know, we can't do that on our own. There is nothing we can do through any effort of our own to create the fruit, the evidence, the produce, if you will, of a genuine Christian character. Because the character is a demonstration of who we are. And I know exactly who I am when I'm left to my own. And I cannot change my genetic makeup. I cannot change who I am. That is completely beyond my ability. All I can do is act out of my natural disposition. And that's not good. I know what that looks like. Can't do it on our own. No decision, act, effort will change that. But it can be changed which brings us to the next thing Jesus said when Peter said lord look at the fig tree that you cursed it's dead jesus said have faith in god and then he said something else that i have struggled with for a long time he said this back in mark's gospel truly i say to you whoever says to this mountain be taken up and cast into the sea and does not say in his or does not doubt in his heart but believes what is going what, what he says is going to happen that'll be granted to him You can speak to a mountain, and it'll move. Anybody ever see that happen? I know some people have tremendous faith. And I have yet once to see them say to even a rock, get up, and move. I'm going to suggest he's speaking metaphorically, right? And his metaphor, that mountain, is this right here. Ask yourself this. What's easier, move Denali to the sea or change a human heart? No amount of human effort can change this. But we could, with enough equipment and manpower and time, we could move that whole mountain into the ocean. I don't know if you've ever seen a a picture of of Jerusalem from a distance. But it's on the top of a hill. And there's these massive stones that make up the wall, the foundation of the Temple Mount. Those things are huge. And I was wondering, how did they get them up on top of that hill? They didn't drag them uphill. They dragged them downhill. There are mountains to the north of Jerusalem that are even higher. And when you got like you know, you know thousands of slaves, you could do an awful lot, right? Even without you know, modern mechanization, they were able to fill in the valley between the higher mountain to the north and the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah, cut their stones off that higher mountain, and they slid them downhill. And they, made the, and they made the Temple Mount. Now, what's truly amazing is after they were done, they dug all that dirt out of the valley and put it back up on the other hill because they wanted to keep the valley for defensive purposes. Now, if they can do that with no machinery, at least not modern machinery, no modern technology, I think with enough time, money, and effort, we could move possibly Denali to the sea. But change this, that's uh, a whole lot harder. Totally beyond human capability. So faith comes into the picture. Coming before the throne of God and saying, dear God, change this. Change this. And he does. And he does because of the work of the cross. As I by faith reckon on his completed work on the cross, Romans chapter 6, basic stuff. As I by faith reckon on the work he did on my behalf on the cross, knowing that he took me with himself to the cross. And that when he was buried in the tomb, he took me into the tomb with him. And when he came out of that tomb, he brought you and I together out of that tomb all by faith. When we reckon on that, when we are mindful of that, when we make the choice to think of that, And by faith, apply it to ourselves. That process starts. It's not instantaneous any more than moving a mountain to the sea is. It's a process, but it's a process that this is changed by. And in that process, as that process carries on, we get real. We start to become what we claim to be. By faith, pursuing the character of Christ. That's all I can do. By faith, pursue his character. Paul said this to the Colossian church. Speaking of the church, he said, To whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ dwelling in you and Christ dwelling in me by his spirit, which is the hope of glory. I have a reasonable expectation that in the future I will look more like Jesus than I look like today. You got plenty of room left to go. Plenty of room for improvement. The externals, the things I do as an act of my will, they're just a barometer. That's all they are. They're just a barometer of what's going on in my life. The core issue, the core being the key word, the core issue is living by faith. The decisions I make in the coming year, both large and small, could be things that are monumental, life-changing. They could be really just mundane. But the decisions I make in the coming year are going to be informed by one of two things. My carnal nature or the character of Christ. And I have a choice with every one of those decisions. Left to my own devices, you know my default. But as I reckon by faith on Christ in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory, I move more towards him. And the reality of who I am becomes more like him. When I answer by faith, I move into that reality. When we allow our old nature to determine our decisions, we move back to delusion, thinking that we're okay. We're not. Only by faith. We used to sing a great old song by Graham Kendrick. Maybe a couple of you are old enough to remember this. Only by faith do we enter. Only by faith do we stand, not by human endeavor, but by the blood of the lamb. That is the key to being real. And by his help, the power of his spirit, the instruction of his word, that will be the basis upon which I will make my decisions in the new year. And I would encourage the same for you. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, Lord, you have done so much for us. Father, when Jesus hung on the cross, the last thing he said was, it is finished. And sometimes I think we, we get into the mindset that that meant all of his work was finished and he didn't have to do anymore. And we kind of get left feeling like we have to do everything after that. But Lord, that, that, I think that phrase, Father, applied to what he had to do on the cross. Father, it's so good to know that our Savior, your Son, Jesus, continues to work in us. That's the very reason, Father, you poured out your Spirit upon the church. You poured your Spirit into us, Father, that you could continue that work. Lord, I'd like to think that I could, with enough strength and effort, get this, you know, following Jesus thing right. But I have figured out that I can't. Still too much of me left in the equation, Lord. But as I trust by faith in the completed work of Christ and in the ongoing work of Christ, his character is being formed, Lord. I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for that. And I, Father, would pray as we go through, as we go into this new year and through this year, Father, we would be mindful to let your word the guidance and the instruction of your spirit, the fellowship of believers, Lord, to remind us to let faith inform our decisions. Faith in the work of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and worship the Lord this morning.